Would you take your Bibles and open with me to Acts chapter 3 this morning? Can I ask you a question? Are you hungry for more? Are you hungry for more? Did you know that there are 1,850-some prophecies in the whole Bible and the Word of God? 1,857, I believe it is, prophecies in this Bible. They're all predicting something more. In the Old Testament, there's something like 1,100 and some. And in the days of Israel, in the book of Acts, as Pastor Steve has already shared a little bit this morning, they were waiting for more. They were expecting more to come. And they were anxious for more because all the prophets of old had said, there's more coming, there's more coming, a day is coming, God's going to do something in the heart of people like you've never seen before. You can't even imagine or think about it, what He's going to do. And I'll tell you that day in Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, that Pastor Steve shared about two weeks ago, when the church was born, something more happened. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on people's lives. People were speaking in other languages. People were getting healed. People were coming together. Matter of fact, it was such a great outpouring, the sound of the wind of the Holy Spirit. People came running from all over Jerusalem because they were expecting something, and I think they anticipated the more was on its way. And we read there in the end of chapter 2, as Pastor Steve shared two weeks ago, that 3,000 souls came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and more were were being added daily. More was happening. More was happening. Pastor Jeff shared last week on Sunday that from Acts chapter 1 that as they were waiting for the more to come, as the Holy Spirit had not yet arrived, Jesus had gone to the cross, risen from the dead, and there was a 40-day time period when He was appearing off and on to the disciples and those who were gathered in Jerusalem waiting for the more. And He said, just stay there and be patient. But as they were there, they were encouraging each other. They were praying together. They were providing for one another. And we see that in Acts chapter 2. As the church was born, they were breaking bread together. I don't know if you've been memorizing out of the little card that you were given two weeks ago. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. They were going to the temple together and breaking bread together and giving praise and glory to God with thankful hearts for what God was providing. And God was doing more and more and people were being added to the number daily. Are you hungry for more? Last Thursday, I I came out here to the campus. I led the office and I came out here to the campus. I don't even know why. I don't remember why. I turned into the driveway off of County Road 32 and I glanced at the sign and I got, just got by and I slammed on my brakes and I backed up and I went, you've got to be kidding me. I've never seen this before. Can you put that picture up? Have you seen the sign for Open Door Church? The Open Door Christian Church. Do you get the byline? I've never seen the byline till last Thursday. I've driven on this property many, many times already. A church for people who knows there's more. Do you know there's more for you? Do you know that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can think or imagine? 
after that occurred in Acts chapter 2 and Peter stood up and, and preached that great powerful sermon and, 3, 000, and the people said, what do we do? What do we do? We, Peter said, you've crucified the one who's more. You've put to death the one who's more. But he's risen again. And the people said, well, what do we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the more. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they did. And they were together in houses, as Pastor Jeff talked about last week, praising God and having favor with all the people. And they were providing for one another and rubbing elbows together and encouraging one another and exhorting one another. And more and more were being added daily to the church. The church was born. There's more. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3 now, verse 1. It transitions. There's a little bit of a transition into, okay, this is walking daily life now with more. In Acts chapter 3, we see the picture. uh, We're told the story of Peter and John who are going to the temple. You see, even though the more came, they didn't just stop everything and start something brand new. They still continued to worship. They still continued to go to temple. And every day they were going to the temple together. That's what the end of chapter 2 tells us. Uh, And it says here, Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Three times a day you could go to the temple and pray. Mid-morning, the ninth hour, about three in the afternoon, and again at sunset. People were always coming and going to the temple to pray. Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. Verse 2, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Let me stop here because there's a lot in this verse. A man lame from birth was being carried. Lame, the word lame there is uh, cholos, if I have that right in the original language. It means that his, he was born with a birth defect. His, the bones in his ankles and his feet were completely out of place. It was physically impossible for him to use his feet to stand on them whatsoever. So daily, someone, probably his family, had to get him on a mat of some kind and carry him over and place him by the beautiful gate at the temple. Daily, day after day, year after year. This was not a young man. This probably wasn't a child. It was a man. And he'd been this way since birth. And he would ask for alms. Alms were, he would ask for charity. It's not just money. He would take anything that people were willing to give. Money, of course, but food and any other provisions, hoping, just hoping, that he could make it through another day of his existence. Daily they laid him at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. I really ignored this for years. I've ignored this statement. Because I noticed that it's repeated again down in verse 10, the beautiful gate. Let me describe the beautiful gate to you. The beautiful gate was one of the main entrances to the temple. It was huge. It was so big. If you will look at that pallet wall behind me, if you took that whole pallet wall and stood it on top, put another one on top of this pallet wall, that beautiful gate was bigger than that. This was a massive gate entrance into the temple. Now, the beautiful gate was really beautiful. 
It was overlaid completely with bronze. Josephus in his Antiquities describes it like this. And it was over, over the bronze, it was overlaid with large bars of gold and silver. This was a beautiful gate. Just an extremely beautiful gate. And etched in the gate, some of the historians record, was pictures of the vine. Reminiscent as Pastor Stevens preached to us before out of John 15. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, will, and I will abide in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. There's this picture of the vine on this bronze overlaid with gold and silver. And the picture of the vine as people are entering into the temple to worship. They're coming to the vine. They're coming to the more of God. And every day, this lame man with his infirmities in his feet and ankles, every day he was carried and he was laid outside this beautiful gate. Are you getting this picture? The man in great despair, the man who's completely helpless, the man who can't do anything to make a living for himself, the man who's dependent on the goodness and the mercy of others who are walking by him, he's laid on the ground, probably lying on a mat, probably has the cloak that is given to beggars, that it was legal for him to be a beggar there. He's laying in the shadow of the beautiful gate of God. The beautiful gate. Do you see the disparity here? Verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Hey, would you help me? Alms. 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 He probably just used that one word. Charity, charity, charity. Would you give me something? And he wasn't just asking Peter and John. There's a whole slew of people who are coming in and out of the temple at this time. And he's asking everybody, alms, alms, and alms. And suddenly he sees Peter and John coming by. And we don't know, but I'm... I'm confidently assurance, a confident assurance that they carried a new confidence because the more had come in chapter 2. The Holy Spirit was upon them. They had spoken and preached like never before. They had seen people, 3,000 and more, come to Christ and more and more were, be, uh, were at, being added to the church daily. They were had an air of confidence to them. And I think that lame man saw that air of confidence. And Peter directed his gaze at him, verse 4, as did John, and said, Look at us. About four weeks ago, Karen and I were in Washington, D.C., visiting our daughter who lives just outside there in Virginia. We had this agenda. The kids were in school, and, the, and uh, our son-in-law and, and Liz, our daughter, were working. So we had a free day to ourselves. So we always try when that happens to go and uh, see something we haven't seen yet. We're on our way to the brand-new Bible Museum that's just being talked about. If you ever have a chance to go to Washington, D.C., my goodness, go to the Bible Museum. 
We're on our way. And the Bible Museum is on the outer fringes of uh, the inner city of Washington, D.C. And on the outer fringes, there are many, many beggars. It's, uh, talk about a contrast. In the seat of the government of the United States, where we spend trillions of dollars and decisions are made every day, there's the most despicable amount of poverty on the outer circle of, the, of, the, of our nation's capital. You go out there and people are sitting along the streets and lining along the sidewalks asking for alms, alms, alms. We're walking along that day, and I don't know if I was having a bad day or what, but we're walking along and we had an appointment. You kind of make a, get an appointment with a ticket to get to the Bible Museum, and we were in a hurry to get there. And we're walking along at a clip neck speed, and all of a sudden I heard this deep, dark voice say, Do you have any money for food? And I quickly glanced out of the... I turned, we were going this way, I quickly glanced over, and I caught the sight of a black man who was tucked in between, uh, I don't know what it was, a light post and something else. He had this little corner there, and I'm pretty sure, because I only glanced, he was leaning on one crutch. And I think this part of his leg was missing. You know what I did? I'm ashamed of it. Instead of stopping and helping him, I turned, I turned away this way and we kept on walking because we had an appointment to get to the Bible Museum. You're supposed to laugh at that. Is that not ridiculous? You've been in your cars and you've come to that left turn lane at a stoplight and you pull over and you're forced to stop there. You're waiting for the light to change. And what do you see? Uh, you glance out of the side of your window, and what do you see? You see that person standing there holding a sign, I need food, I need work, I need help. What do most of us do honestly? Most of us start looking down at our phone, or we start fiddling with the radio so that we're hoping the light will turn and we can go on by and not have to deal with that person right there. Notice what happened with John and Peter, though, here in verse 4. And Peter didn't glance away. He directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. I mean, Peter, in his confidence, now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, said, Look at us. And the man, verse 5, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. I can just see it. Can't you? That man is laid there asking for alms for so many years that when he would get a taker, someone who would stop, I'll bet you his hand, when Peter said, look at us, I'll just bet you his hand was starting to already come up, expecting to receive alms. But Peter is about to tell him, I got more for you than alms, my friend. Look at verse 5. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. 
And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Silver and gold I don't have for you, but I got a whole lot more for you, Peter is telling him. I, what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he reached down and grabbed his right hand. Instead of filling it with alms, he filled it with the power of the living God. He didn't. The Holy Spirit did. And he rose up and walked. Are you still hungry for more? You want more in your life? Or have you settled in this state of, yeah, I've become a believer in Jesus. I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. And then we kind of steadfastly fall into this staid category of living and fleshing out a living and going through the motions of life. I don't want to live like that. I'm 63 years old, the 1st of June, and I don't want to live like that anymore. I know there's more. I know God wants to do more. God's still in the miracle business. He's still in the healing business. He's still ready to change a soul at the blink of an eye in the power of the Holy Spirit. God is ready to do more, but are we ready for more? Thank you for that. You're the only one who's responding. In Mark chapter 10, in Mark chapter 10, there's the story of Bartimaeus, the blind man. He's been blind his whole life too. He was born blind. And he's sitting alongside the road, just like this guy is sitting outside the beautiful gate. And he hears the crowds coming and he says, who is it? He said, they say, it's Jesus. And he starts crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And you know what the crowd says? Why don't you be quiet? Shh, shh, calm down. And he cries out all the more, Mark, it says there in Mark, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Are you crying out to God for more? And Jesus stops and he hears them and he says, bring that guy over here. And they get him and they bring him over here, over to Jesus. And Jesus says, what is it you want? And he says, I just want to see. I want to see. And Jesus says, go. Your faith has healed you. And he went away healed from his blindness at that moment. Do you think that's just for that time? That's for this time too. God is still in the business of miracles. I am standing in front of you this morning a living miracle. I can't tell you how many miracles God has done in my physical body in 62 and a three quarters, two thirds years. I've been hit on the head with sledgehammers from high above. I've been hit on, uh, you won't know this, but I grew up as a boy on the farm and we used to have these big elevators with a big hopper that you flipped up and then you walked away with it and you pulled the wagon in and then you would turn, put the hopper back down. I flipped the hopper up one day. I was probably 14 years of old, age of, uh, old, 14 years of age. 
It'll come out. And I was walking away from it completely unbeknownst to me. The hopper was coming back down. It's about this wide, and it probably weighs. It's spring-loaded, so you can lift it up pretty easily. I'm sure it weighs at least 100, 150 pounds. All of a sudden, it came back down on me and hit me right back here. It was a miracle of God. It didn't bust my back. When I was in seminary, all of a sudden, I started having back problems. My daughter, who was about eight or nine, one day came flying at me. We love to play. And she just came running across and she just threw herself into me and put me to my knees, blowing a disc out in my back. I could not walk. All I could do was crawl. God got me in the hospital, did the operation, and healed me. I've had two back surgeries, one neck surgery. I've had my gallbladder completely stop, and that was removed. And the biggest, well, the two biggest ones, I've had the highest degree of prostate cancer that a human being can have. And I am cancer-free. I was on my deathbed in the hospital for prostate problem when I had when I developed a stomach infection I called it I named it you ever name your own malady <laughs> I named my own malady the thousand pin syndrome it felt like a thousand needles were on the inside of my stomach trying to push out through the wall lining of my stomach it was so painful I couldn't stand it I was in the emergency room and again in the emergency room and finally in the hospital I was losing weight I couldn't keep anything in whatsoever whatever I put in came out I lost 32 pounds in six weeks time until God in his miraculous power said, I've got more for you. And he healed me and raised me up. I was dying from that infection. When, G- when Peter and John reached down that day and Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold from you, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. That man got hit with the power of the miraculous, miraculous power of heaven that was poured all over him. I want more. What do you want, Rich? What do you want? I want more, Lord, for my life. I want to know you, the one true God, world without end. I want more of you. I want more of the infilling of your Holy Spirit. I want to know you. I want to see people healed. I want to see people have miracles in their lives where they're set free from the maladies of sin and affliction that we're oftentimes born with. I want to see people healed from broken relationships, broken marriages. I want to see people get out of their woundedness and get healed in the name of the risen Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk, young man. Walk. You know what I think is pretty amazing about this text? What I think is pretty amazing about this text is that that man laid in front of the beautiful gate in his situation, which was horrible. By the way, I never said he should have never been laying there in the first place. 
He should never have been laying there having to beg for alms. Israel was commanded in the Old Testament to take care of their poor, to provide for them, to superintend them. To, and God promised that He would bless Israel. He would pour out abundantly on them. He would give them more than enough that there wouldn't, shouldn't have been any poor. They, he should have never been laying there in the first place. You see? I'm the guy that walks by that on the way to the Bible museum and I neglect to stop and give that man some money so he can have some food. That's how we live life. I don't want to live like that anymore. God's got more. Two years ago, Karen and I happened to be up in Princeton, Minnesota. And we were early for our appointment in the middle of the day, so we went over to the local shopping center a little bit and we were leaving there, and there was a, a family, mom and a dad, and probably in their 30s or early 40s at the most, and, and a couple of kids, and they had this sign, and they said, could you please help? Standing out on the corner on the street in Princeton, Minnesota. They don't see those things in Princeton, Minnesota. And I, we pull, I pulled out of the parking lot, and I drove by, and there's a stoplight there, and I stopped, and I saw that, and I thought, I wonder what's going on here. I told Karen, we've got to go find out. So I turned the corner, I went around, and I came around again, and I pulled up beside him, and I opened my window, and I said, tell me your story. And he said, well, you see that van right over there? And there was a nice, very nice minivan sitting there. He said, that thing broke down. We need to get home to Ohio. We were on a trip, and it cost $1,200 for repairs, and it took everything that we had to get that, and we don't have enough money to get home. We can't get home. And I thought, God, how simple is this? And I got my billfold out and gave him a bunch of cash. There's more. I'm never going to run out of money. God's always got more. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And what if I do run out of money? I'll just pray for more. I'll pray for him to provide more. Do you want more? Are you hungry for more in your life? Or are you so satisfied with the way life is that you've fallen into this lethargic, uh, what do you call that, catonic stage where you just accept the way life is? Listen, you don't have to live in bad relationships. You don't have to be satisfied with that. You don't have to live with not being able to pay your bills on time. You don't have to. You don't have to live with the frustration of the inner things that keep going on inside you over and over and over and over again. You don't have to. God's got more for you. I believe with all my heart, as I read the Holy Scriptures of God, God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He will heal us when we come to Him. Let me close with this, and then we're going to pray. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because those who come to Him, here's faith, must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. See, many people have described it, even Bible scholars, and I will, I will argue with them till the day I die. Hebrews 11.1, 1, they say, is the definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 is not the definition of faith. That says faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. 
That's just the level playing field of faith. That's where you live your daily life, being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. That's the, that's the lifestyle a believer lives. But true faith is found in verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because why? You, when you come to Him, here's faith. First of all, you must believe that God exists. He's the God who says He's God, that He says He's God, the great I Am, who I am. And that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. See, faith always is pressing forward for more. Earnestly seeking is future-orientated. You're always in your faith pressing more and more and more forward. You want to see God do more. You want to experience God do more. You want to taste and see the goodness of God and what He wants to do in your lives. God wants to do more. He wants to do more in you this morning. I'm convinced of it. In a few moments, we're going to invite you to experience more. Let's pray together. Father, your word says in Isaiah 35, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. We are grateful that you don't leave us to ourselves. We're grateful for your power, your supremely abundant power that can do abundantly more than we can think or imagine. The same power Paul writes in Ephesians 1 that is the same power that's at work in us that was at work when Jesus Christ himself was raised from the dead. Thank you for your power, Lord. Help us to believe that there's more for us. God, would you do abundantly more in us? Give us faith to press forward for more, Lord. Help us to taste and see you, Lord, for more. We want more, God. Move and heal in our lives today. More, Lord. We pray for more. Because you're the God of more. We want to be the church who knows there's more as it's written on our sign. We want to live for the more in you, Lord Jesus. Father, I'm so grateful that Peter reminds us what we've been bought from. That Jesus offered his body on the cross so that we might die to our sin and live for righteousness. And by His wounds, we are healed. Heal in our lives this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to invite you right now. We're going to continue to worship. But we want to give you an opportunity to get out of your seats to come forward and be prayed with with our prayer team. This is for you. This is more for you to experience more. I don't know what you're going through. It doesn't matter. I don't need to know. Neither does our prayer team, really. All they want to do is lay their hands on you and pray over you. God will take care of you. God wants to meet you. God wants to see you. God wants to do something miraculous in your life. Do you have the faith this morning to reach forward? 
Just get out of your seats and come now. Come at any time. We're going to sing two or three more songs. We want you to come and experience the more of God. Don't be satisfied being like the lame beggar who laid there every day saying alms, 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 not expecting anything else, trying to meagerly get through his existence. Be that person who reaches forward in faith in the living Lord, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and reach for the God of more who wants to meet you in your life. Come. Just get out of your seats. You can come right now. Come while we're singing. Just come and experience what God wants to do inside of you. God bless you.